Welcome to the Unabashed Gaming Podcast, where we talk about all things tabletop RPG so you don't have to. This week, we assemble with three hosts. We get some on-show responses to last episode's D&D 5th edition discussion, we talk up the merits of play-by-post style gaming, and trade secrets on how to keep those long campaigns going, while finally finishing off with some more campaign pipe dreams. Enjoy. <laughs> Alright, so uh, welcome to Unabashed Gaming, episode 22. Uh, we're here tonight to talk about play-by-post, uh, keeping long campaigns running, and a little bit of uh, response from 5th edition. Uh, my name is David Schimpf. I'm David Larkins. And I'm Susan Stewart. Yeah, it's our first trio. Yeah, Ooh, let's get yeah. started. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, well, um, let's let's start with the uh, fifth edition notes since mm-hmm. uh, that's what we talked about last week. And David, you said you might have some thoughts. Yeah, I, and I wrote them down, and then I forgot to bring them, so I'm going to go off of memory here. <laughs> All right. It's like you're not even trying. I know, right? I'm totally phoning it in at this point. I'm resting on my laurels and my fat royalty checks. Uh, um, Let's see. So, oh, okay. I I had to call you out, Dave, because you said that Aragorn didn't strike you as a ranger. And Mm. I'll have you know, sir, that the original ranger class was actually based directly off of the character. That's what I meant when I said that. I'm like, he he even has the 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 class even had the the ability to use uh, magic items that uh, grant clairvoyant um, abilities, like the palantir. You know, okay. Love it. The interesting thing, though, in tracking the evolution of the ranger class is that the whole dual wielding thing doesn't show up until second edition. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the archery thing doesn't show up until a uh, third edition. So anyway, Susan, you were totally on point with yeah. making uh, your character a fighter. Yeah. Just wanted to put that out there. Well, right. Thank you. <laughs> neener, neener, Dave. <laughs> and Randy, stupid husband. <laughs> well, I'll admit that I was wrong, and you, uh, you've got you've got one up on me there. <laughs> uh, you and your you and your extensive, you know, Lord of the Rings and Dungeons and Dragons knowledge. Uh, but with the two weapon fighting thing, um, I did want to uh, just interject on that because uh, you guys were kind of. Saying, oh, everyone's going to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, the restrictions in the basic rules are that they both have to be light weapons. Yeah, okay. They both have to be so light. So that's why they said that light weapons were better, because you yeah. just can't. You can't. You else. literally can't. Okay. And you don't get a damage bonus on the second weapon unless you take like the two-weapon fighter um, option, whatever they call it. Interesting. Um, yeah. So... Um, I know all this because I am going to be running the starter set uh, adventure with my Wednesday group, and Excellent. one of the players is one of those guys who always has to do a two-weapon fighter. So you are ready. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I, well, right. it came up, you know, because they, yeah. they didn't want to do the pre-gens. They wanted to take the character creation uh-huh. rules for a spin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he made a two-weapon fighter, so. Okay. Nice. So are you guys just, you're running off the starter set? Sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run the starter set adventure, yeah. Awesome. Uh, but we're going to use the characters they made, so. I've heard mixed reviews about the Star Adventure. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that. Um, I mean, I've I've you know kind of paged through it at this point. I should mm-hmm. probably actually, you know, read it. Read it, you run it uh, before I have to run it on Wednesday. But um. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're nah, pro. You don't yeah, need to read the adventure. Resting on laurels again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just you know, a couple of NPCs and you're set. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's the thing, though, is that, you know, I think it does kick off with, like, your kind of classic, oh, there's some goblins in a dungeon, go fight them kind of thing. Okay. Oh. But then it's it's also set up as kind of a semi-sandbox after that point where the players are going to have kind of free reign to, hmm. to move around well, in great. the environment. So Interesting. Yeah. So hopefully that will be the case. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, you know, you guys didn't really touch on the starter set, so I was curious if you had any thoughts. Um, I have not yet seen the starter set. Likewise. Mm-hmm. So I have watched a very tongue-in-cheek unboxing video that did not actually show anything. Oh my god. <laughs> so, again, I, this is going to be the second time I mentioned the angry DM as, as oh, many yeah. episodes. But yeah, it is all like his face while he's opening it and looking at it. Oh my god. You just get to see his face. Is it, is it like underlit? Like uh, Pulp Fiction style? <laughs> it should have been yeah, because that would have be been great. perfect. Oh. I mean, yeah, so that's mm. the only thing I know about the starter set. Really. Okay, well my my, my informal unboxing review then is yeah. that um, I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it does what it, it intends to do, which is be like um, a non, not very crippleware intro to the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. It's not as complete as like the old basic D and D box sets, you know, from right. the '80s, where right. it, literally that's all you needed to play the game, and you could, you know, technically just do that forever. Yeah, uh, as long as you didn't, you know, worry too much about leveling up. Yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna skip right ahead to just getting the player's handbook Absolutely. when it comes out. Yeah, I was I was mainly just curious, and it's like on Amazon, it's 15 bucks. Yeah, so, so what? Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, you get some dice, you know, you get a, a little rules packet, and then you get the big fat adventure packet, and that gives you monsters. Yeah, you know, you get uh, all the monsters that are in that starting adventure are statted up, and that's you know everything from goblins to spoiler alert dragon oh. <laughs> <laughs> who knew that the tyranny of dragons would have a dragon yeah there would be a dragon town. yeah yeah that's uh, that um, just doesn't make any sense speaking of which yeah. if any of our listeners are going to gen con mm. there's a tiamat patch that i want so bad <laughs> someone someone get it for me wow <laughs> we request. Yeah, I'll yeah. like I'll paint some minis for you. Whatever. Yeah, just, we're willing to work out trades. Yeah, yeah no, I'm just obsessed with it, but not enough that I'm actually going to buy like pre-order the adventure that it's supposed to be coming with. Mm. But if you show up at Gen Con, you can just get a patch. That's right. Okay. It's cool. really cool. Nice. Oh man. Yeah. And the box is nice. I'll say that too. It's a nice box. Oh, that's good. Sturdy. I was worried it was going to be. What color is it? They're black. Black. Okay. So yeah. not not the uh, well. Gosh, $15, different color box. Stop selling me on this. I, I Sounded like a good idea, Dave. I don't need to buy any Dave. more D&D. Dave. I've, I've, I've been burned before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's got a new dress and a new way of walking. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, I, I am, enth- you know, just to kind of chime in on your guys' uh, sort of final thoughts, I'm also sort of enthusiastic and also expecting a lot of uh, sort of bloat to be coming out. Yeah. Um, uh, the interesting thing is, I I think Mike Merles has actually said that they want this to be the last formal edition of D anD. d That's why it's just wow. called Dungeons and Dragons. All right, so we're gonna be playing this edition for the rest of our lives, That's the, whether I, we like it or not. Basically, what what they're gonna do is they're gonna keep going with what they did with the play test, which was have like surveys that they're gonna send out. Huh. And the idea is, you know, just to 
constantly have that free D&D basic PDF available and it'll be version 2.0, 2.8, 3.1. Okay, so now it's going to be like uh, like 40K. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So stuff you got at the beginning isn't necessarily pertinent by yeah. the time they get to book I know. I, I don't know how they're going to pull that off. So you know. They're basically just rebooting D&D. What, what they want to avoid Forever. is like people going, oh, I, you know, you can't play a ranger. It's unplayable. Uh, and then that just turns out to be some vocal minority of people, and and most right. people are actually actually completely satisfied with how the ranger works. Yeah. Hmm. So they want they want to have like a you know continuing customer feedback thing going on, so that you know they don't have to like you know do these hard you know reboots basically. Yeah. yeah. You know. Interesting. Yeah, we'll wow. see how that works out. We will see how that works out. Yeah, definitely. I'm. Uh... We hope they don't go the way of Palladium. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, who knows? Maybe they'll. Uh, <laughs> maybe this will be a big hit, and they'll you know take the uh, take the chaosium you know BRP Call of Cthulhu method, where they just you know stick with one system and just do slight updates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's it's more like an addition in like the textbook sense. Like when there's a new edition of a textbook, yeah. it's still like ninety five percent the same thing. Yeah, but exactly. you know, they just add and change a few things. Yeah. Cool. I, mean, well, I hope yeah. I like it enough. To, I know, right? Uh, yeah. Have that be good. I mean, I, I like what I've read, and we'll see how it plays. Kind mm. of, you know, that's where I'm at. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also love the trinkets table. Oh my god, yes! Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And um, you know, there's a hundred trinkets, which is great. But there's also a, a magazine called Fight On, mm-hmm. and you can get it in PDF. Uh, Fight On number five has another trinket table. Uh, this was from a few years back. Um, you know, that was written for like basic D and D. It was interesting seeing all the little ideas that I'd seen floating around on the internet for like the past few years, like mm-hmm. in the old school D and D circles, kind of getting into the game. You know, because I know I know that the development team was plugged into all those you mm-hmm. know, blogs and mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. Uh, yeah, can never have enough trinkets. Oh, so right, mm-hmm. little things for plot hooks and yeah, perhaps little... screwing your players over in the future. In the yeah, like one, one of the. Uh, <laughs> Actually, the, the two-weapon fighter, uh, his trinket was a crystal doorknob. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, like, what, yeah. you know. What's, what's that for? <laughs> exactly. Why is that important? Why are you hanging on to that? You know, Ooh, yeah. it's great. That is great. Yeah. Oh, man, it just sets the creative juices flowing. Mm, yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Man, so... Gosh, I may have to pick up that starter edition now. If it's only fifteen dollars, yeah. If they have it, if they have it on Prime, I'm gonna get it. It's just, it is on Prime. It's just oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> oh, yep. So excellent. Yeah. Then we can play it sooner. Yeah, and then we can talk about it. Yes. Yeah, you get you get the five pregen, so you can just literally just jump throw right some in. sheets out and get going. All right. And the pregens are, I think we talked about this before. They're you know the backstories and the. The um, ideals and all that stuff are kind of like meshed together. The bonds, you know, mm-hmm. those oh, are all meshed together awesome. with yeah. each other and with good. the setting. So, oh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it'll be nice to get people just jumping in the setting like that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Sweet. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's, a, that's about all I wanted to add. So yeah, very good. Yes. Cool. Good ads. Yeah. All right. Well, then next up with some play by post. Mm, play by post. Oh boy, has has any of us had a good experience with Play by Post? I did at the beginning. So yeah, define good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so my first Play by Post game was on the the Reaper Miniatures forum, hmm. and it was a GURPS game. Oh wow! And uh, 
and it was actually my introduction in, introduction 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 <laughs> to GURPS. And it was this really huh. interesting um, fairy tale style game or mm. set game, but with the like the creepy fairies, not the good fairies. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it started out we all had to know each other, and we had to have an NPC that was related to our. PC. Oh, no. We had to all be related as mm. player characters. Mm. And then we had to have an NPC um, that was that went with our character. So it started out being at some one of the player characters' wedding night. And his new bride gets stolen mm. in the middle of the night. And there's only like like footprints in milk as clues huh. wow. for what happened. So That's anyway, so it was a really interesting yeah. game, but just kind of petered out. Hmm. And group strikes me as, as being a um, system that would lend itself to play by post. It actually worked really well. And you know, cause they have free quick start rules, like mm-hmm. a bit ba- like mm-hmm. GURPS light. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we all used. And if we wanted something else, you know, the GM was happy to yeah. provide suggestions, but yeah, it did work quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How about your um, first experience with side by post, David? Actually, it was also GURPS. Yeah, and, uh, go GURPS. It was back when it was PBEM, play by email. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, boy. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, late nineties, I guess. Guys, and, we're, we're dating yeah, ourselves. We're right. getting into like Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan territory. <laughs> <laughs> Back when it was PBT, play by telegraph. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> PBMC, Morse code. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Furiously tapping away. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it he was. hated a... that elf because his name took forever. <laughs> <laughs> Spell it out every damn time. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, it was a GURPS game, but it was it was GURPS horror, which, like, in retrospect, oh, I don't know, you know, if horror is really a genre you could pull off. With GURPS, that with, well, with well, play, play by oh. play by email, yeah, because you know the pace is already slow enough, and um, we never actually got to any of the horror. It was like <laughs> <laughs> before the game just kind of you know fell apart. It was like I don't know. We were I think we were grad students helping out on some um, either like biology or archaeology kind of field you know expedition. Mm-hmm. So we were like camping in the woods, you know, and so it was like kind of you know pretty typical horror setup and um and it was just mostly like things going weird is about as far as we got Mm -hmm. things going missing or strange noises or things that weren't quite right you know but it never got further than that (laughs) so and um and then i've tried like sort of periodically off and on since then i had three other three other attempts uh let's see there was um briefly dip my toe into a like pure historical viking play by post game um then i did a um AD&D second edition and then an old uh old school 80s fantasy game called dragon warriors try to get into that one and the viking one i actually bowed out from because it had been going for like four years and it oh. was and it was kind of wrapping up mm. and so i just kind of felt like you know, man, those people should get medals. They—they—that's sure. the only one I, I know of that was played to completion. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then and then the other two fell apart because of the GMs. They just, uh, you know, kind of lost lost their momentum. Mm-hmm. That was that. So. Yeah. So. 
Any experiences for you, sir? Well, uh, my first experience is, Susan, your second experience with play-by-post? Yes. And this was, um, well, speaking of easy to, you know, work with in a, a form setting where everyone's, you know, far away from each other, uh, you know, Pathfinder's not a bad thing for that because, you know, everything's for free on uh, D20 PFSRD. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't so bad. Um, I think the real problem was just that... Um, like everything, relying on so many people, and you know having players working in different schedules, and you know you you have the that dichotomy be- between someone who can post multiple times per day and someone who can post maybe like mm-hmm. once a week. Yeah. Um, kind of created strain. I yeah. would say. And a big problem with that game is that it started as a sit. To, everybody sits down together at a yeah. table and. Oh. And our GM moved, and so he wanted to get everybody into play-by-post, and so it was kind of like we were all forced into it. (laughs) Yeah, kind of of dragged there. Oh, wow. And then, you know, the characters we had when we were playing on tabletop ended up getting killed, so, like, it had to be, like, you know, we made new characters for it. I think I made Dorrit when we were still on tabletop. Yeah. Well, I know... I don't know. I lost a lot of characters in that game. Yeah, seriously. No, I, th- I think maybe you were still rolling di- actual dice for Dorrit, which yeah, is... Yeah, I think I was. But, yeah. I mean, once you get to the point where, you know, people make fun of, like, 4th edition because, you know, they, they say, you know, it takes five minutes to take a three-hour walk, and it takes three hours to do a five-minute battle. Mm. And in this situation, it, like, it takes you five minutes to make a dice roll mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. with friggin' BB mm. code, and... Oh. You know, just, yeah, the, the strictures of, like, format, and then just, it turned out that, like, I think the real problem with, uh, well, the, the real, like, inciting point with, uh, with our play-by-post group was that, like, affect was just completely, you know, not really there, so you don't have the, you don't have the camaraderie around the table, so, yeah, we had that big blow-up in our group where we lost, like, two players because of it, and, like, the inst- instigator stuck around. And that, and you, you all knew each other in real life. Yeah. Oh, so that's even more awkward. <laughs> well, actually, we, uh, <laughs> no, one of them we picked up when we started doing play okay. by post. Yeah. And he was one of the, one of the people that we lost and it was like yeah. one of his first ever like role playing games. Yeah. So like, yeah, it just kind of sucks to see someone like blow up at someone like that and just realize that they've like completely probably lost interest in like, you know, the hobby for oh, an extended period of time now just cause. Right. Oh, so, yeah. That's such a mess. It, it, yeah, it basically <laughs> turned into GM playing, like, all the NPCs, like, two GM PCs, <laughs> and, like, three of the other players' PCs who dropped out. Oh, my God. And, yeah, it's it's been, like, two weeks, and there's nothing. So, um, it's probably dead in the water by now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's just, you know, there's... I mean, obviously, it's 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 a format that people work in, so there's got to be some good aspects to it. I just haven't really experienced them. Like, yeah, some people can pull it off. I I, I know someone who, for a while, maybe still, was primarily play by post gaming. Yeah. I know? can see how it would be a good alternative if you just can't get a group together. And it seems like the trick is like with this guy and and maybe you know elsewhere that I've seen it's like you you get involved in multiple ones. Mm. Yeah. So if one slows mm-hmm. down you're you're still cooking along with another one that just kind of keeps your momentum going, you know, yeah. so that you don't lose your focus. But that was always a problem for me like um I remember, you know, with a couple of them 
where, you know, I would have a job that I wouldn't be at a computer mm. for four or five hours. Right. And then there's other people in the group who clearly work in IT or some other desk job that gives them a lot of computer time where they can just have a little window open. And they're effectively real-time role-playing with each other. Right. You know, like two guys right. get in this conversation and then start doing things. And then you come back and you check the board or whatever and you're like what the hell yeah. happened you like know? five like, pages later yeah, yeah. and your, yes. your character's just basically like kind of been you know dragged along like yes. this you know yeah. faceless avatar the whole time we're doing know? what now yeah, yeah exactly so that can be a problem yeah but the um you know actually i i, I copy pasted the um the posting guidelines from that viking game because mm-hmm. i figured this guy knows what he's doing mm-hmm. so if i ever want to run one myself I should copy his uh, his example. His example, yeah. and so I, I pulled it up uh, before the recording here. It's a thirty point uh, guideline. Wow. Yeah, thirty thirty items, thirty line items, and uh, you know, I mean, that's part of the. I think that's part of you know how you do it is you just have to be kind of a hard ass, you know. Because yeah. I mean, he had he, you know, a lot of the points were in terms of like communicating with each other, communicating with him, mm. you know, try not to engage in like, you know, group out of character interactions excessively. If you have an issue, you know, tr- contact me directly. We'll work it out. You know, don't do it through the channel, the main channel. You know, right? Um, you know, keep the communication clear. He had like four different ways to denote different actions and thoughts and speaking and you know clean up your messages before you post them make sure everything's clearly delineated you know all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. you know just the logistics of it yeah no it's very it's a very logistical way to play and if you're playing on like a bulletin board system that has dice rolling support mm-hmm. yeah makes it better that no. was the other that was the other thing is that there was no dice rolling in that game. Yeah. It was describe your character's actions and I will do the dice rolling myself and then I will tell you what happened. Honestly, I think that's the way to do it because you have to at least have some level of knowledge of coding to mm-hmm. roll the dice in most bulletin boards and even if you do like if you do some like one little thing wrong, you've like screwed it up. Yeah, mm. like you forget and, one bracket, mm. and yeah. the entire post is shot because you can't edit a post that has a dice roll mechanic in it. Yes. Wow. Oh, so. So yeah. So it's been explained to me that play by post gaming is supposed to be much less time consuming. Mm. Which I found can be completely false. <laughs> because, you know, I am perfectly fine setting aside like two or three, maybe even four evenings mm. to game. Mm-hmm. Where you, you know, you go and you sit around a table for hours and hours mm. and play with people. Because then you just, you get to leave it for the rest of your yeah. work day yeah. or the rest of the week. And you don't have to think about it at all. And maybe you're like, oh crap, I have to level up half an hour before the game. Mm-hmm. But... It's not something you have to pay attention to versus play-by-post, depending on how much the rest of your group is. Mm -hmm. They demand your attention at least once a day. Yeah. Yep. And so you have to be thinking about it all the time. And so little happens per post that it's a much less uh, uh, effective use of your time, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the only real strength that I can actually you know, honestly, you know, stand fully behind in play-by-post is that you can look back throughout the entire game and see exactly what someone said and find out exactly what NPCs' Mm. names are and what they did. But, I mean, other than that, it's really... uh, 
it feels really glutted to me. Like, I'd, I'd much rather, you know, be sitting around a table and rolling dice and having everything take a fraction of the time that it takes yeah. on, you know, a message board and not have to worry about internet going out or being able to be around a computer or, yeah. you know, if it's a system where you have to own the source books, everyone being able to own, own the books. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And, you know, these days we have the lovely Skype and Google Hangouts and yeah. things like things that. Things have changed. For, if you don't yeah. have a group locally, I think that's a much better way to go. I do, too. Yeah. Um, I, you know, although, I mean, I know some people, like, don't like Skype or Google Hangout-based play just because it does feel different than sitting around mm-hmm. a table, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But it's it's so close to that right. that it's almost like that sort of uncanny valley thing where it's sort of like, it's close, but that actually makes me even more disappointed that I'm not sitting at a table, you know? <laughs> right. Whereas yeah, play-by-post is so different. It's, it's a different form yeah. of gaming. And, you know, like... I mean, in terms of like being able to go back and look at things, it's that's its main strength as well. I agree, you know, because it's not just that, but it's you know, like that's another reason why I thought GURPS would be well suited, mm. is because as the GM, you can get as you, you can pull in as many crunchy parts of GURPS as you want, because yes. you don't have to worry about <laughs> you know slowing things down to look something up or whatever. You know, it's like you can be like, oh, I totally want to use the the weapon length rules from GURPS martial arts, you know, so that if you know you have a rapier versus a short sword, it's going to make a difference. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, all that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. But, yeah, you have that time to really like yeah. quibble about it too. Yeah. It doesn't affect the flow of the game at all. And yeah. then you know, yeah. with the with the posting as well. I mean, the Viking. Um, game the another line item was like you know write it in present tense third person so that it seems like a narrative that's playing out Mm. and Mm -hmm. and you know it was obvious that the guy basically wanted the thing to read like you know a saga or a book Mm -hmm. you know like but at the end of the day he's like cut out all the extraneous stuff try and limit your ooc comments and just write it like a narrative Mm -hmm. and that's the thing is like you can really indulge your kind of literary side you know i think yeah get a little deeper yeah, definitely. It brings to mind more like games like diplomacy than actual, you know, around the table role top or you know tabletop role playing games. Yeah. Which yeah, you know, yeah. It really requires a, a specific mindset where, which you know, you may not always be interested in when you're uh, when you're going to you know just hit some goblins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean the one idea I've had in the past that I don't think I'm going to do because it's just too much, but with uh, Pendragon. With the advanced character generation, you can roll randomly to see where your character comes from. Mm-hmm. And the thought I had was like, we'll do a play-by-post game where everyone rolls, and then they start out in their home area. Mm-hmm. And so I'm effectively running all these different characters in these different parts of, oh, of the man. setting. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you know two of them will cross paths, or all of them, or some of them will cross paths at some point. And then we'll it reminds interweave. me of Camelot, the mm-hmm. musical. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, they just like run across people on the side of the road. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you know. But then I'm like, oh, but I'd have to have like a separate narrative for each character going on, so that would be too much for yeah. me, I think. But you know, that's like, you know, you you could you could have that. You could or you could run like a horror game, I think, where you know people are isolated from each other and they don't necessarily know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are ways you could play with the format to play to its strengths, I guess. Yeah, definitely. You know, but like trying to run like a conventional goblin bash is probably not the best. Yeah, definitely use not. Of it. Definitely not. Yeah, because <laughs> it'll take you like six months to get through like a goblin skirmish. Right. Yeah. And that was why the AD and D and Dragon Warriors ones petered out. I think. I mean, the AD and D one was Planescape, so it was like you know not you know your classic kind of dungeon crawl thing. Mm. You know, it was much richer setting, but nonetheless, it was kind of like oh, we're just you know 
trying to replicate this other format that doesn't really work in this format. So yeah, yeah. But um, you know, as I said, I know there are people who uh, have a lot of success with this. So mm -hmm. if you're listening, please let us know how you made that happen. Absolutely, right? Yes. <laughs> we all have the horrible, bitter memories of play by post. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think most play by post peter out, and so it's probably just a question of enjoying the ride. You yes, know, last yeah. What's going on? Yeah. You know, rather than having this this uh, story arc concept that you would have more often with tabletop so definitely that would be my theory mm -hmm. indeed mm -hmm. man any other thoughts on uh, on play by post I don't think so Susan? I think I'm good they're, they're nothing nice that <laughs> hey, this isn't this isn't grade school. If you have nothing nice to say, say it. <laughs> I hate it, and I'm never doing it again. <laughs> well, that's a perfect segue to uh, to the absolute opposite of um, <laughs> of play by post, which is uh, yeah, um, long campaigns, how to keep them running. Yeah. yeah, when they're not in play by post, because you know you hear a lot of uh, advice on how to start a campaign. Yeah, yeah, it's keeping it going. That's the trick. Yeah. So you know, assuming you know gamers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we did cover how to put a group together in yeah. an earlier episode. So yeah. you've got your group. You started your campaign. Now how, now, how do you keep it running? Oh yes. boy. <laughs> so um, I find that uh, you know in. Uh, advice that I've given before, you know, just, uh, just integrating players, you know, increasing their buy-in as, as you go along even more, you know, so in Definitely. a, in a long form campaign, even if it's something pre-written, uh, you know, you, you integrate the player's actions and you create either consequences or more plot hooks from them. Um, I mean, David, you've, uh, you did that yesterday in Pendragon where, uh, you know, we had that artifact we brought to the clergy for some divine inspiration and that created an entire you know, two-hour game that we played yesterday. Mm -hmm. And that really uh, that really brought, you know, it, not only did it, you know, really give that payoff to pretty much everyone who was there at the table for, uh, you know, for the beginning of that quest, but it also, even mechanically, it uh, it created that, you know, the Order of the Dragon Slayers, where, mm -hmm. you know, with the, uh, just the mechanics of Pendragon, where, you know, when you, once you have characters that age out, you kind of lose those, you know, those other groups of characters who were together, so it's interesting to see the uh, the mechanic of using plot devices to sort of inspire players to uh, to bring their new characters together. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Especially with yeah, like a long multi generational uh, yeah. game like Pendragon, but or any any game where you have some level of turnover, like a classic D and D game where you have a you know fifty percent casualty rate. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pull the curtain aside um, on that whole Pendragon thing, because it's a good example of, I think, one of the secrets of success with keeping a campaign running, hmm. which is sort of um, being able to um, riff off of in-game developments yeah. and, mm -hmm. and build off of those. So that sword, that whole scenario was a little um, scenario seed that I pulled out of one of the Pendragon adventure books, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and in, you know, so the sword was in there. But it just said at the end, you know, the sword will not, uh, cannot be destroyed by normal means. Perhaps some sort of quest will be in order to mm. destroy it. That was all. 
So you, you know. made up the you made up the second half. Well, I was you know I put that in the back of my mind, yeah. you know, especially seeing what you guys did with it. And of course, I was hoping that one of you would keep the sword because it does actually have mechanical things that happen if you hold on to it and bonuses know. and penalties. I'm assuming more penalties and penalties. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> best kind of artifact. Best kind. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, um, so, but no, you guys did the responsible thing uh, and uh, sure. you know put it in a vault. Raiders and Lost like Ark style. Well, we're getting old. <laughs> you know, we were all like mid to late thirties at that point. Yeah, yeah, they're older and wiser now. Yeah. So, at any rate, um, yeah, no. So I, I was kind of keeping uh, keeping my antenna up for some appropriate thing mm-hmm. I could do, and um, so I ran across this thing about this um, this hill fort. That in you know Somerset County that you know supposedly was the site of a great battle and then the corpses turned into a dragon and it was you know this bit of like local British folklore mm. and I was like well that's it yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah ta-da. because that's where the sword you know you guys found the sword in Somerset County and so I just thought hey you know so I, I came up with that whole idea of this being the blade being claw from the dragon and yeah. you know that you need to like stab the dragon with the blade to kill the dragon and destroy the blade you know and, mm. and um you know so i you know it, it turned into a scenario i wrote myself based off of a combination of your actions plus you know a scenario seed from an earlier adventure so yeah that's like you know i think that's a, a important thing is just to you know keep you know unspooling things like right. what you're saying like just keep it keep it going as mm-hmm. long as you can you yeah. know so um you know, and keep keep ripping riffing off of things the players give you. you I know? think that's the most important. Uh, Dave and I were talking earlier. You know, when you start your campaign, you kind of have you know your plot lines that you throw out there, and it's good to have more than one. Mm-hmm. And uh, your players will inevitably pick one that you do not expect. Mm-hmm. And my favorite thing to do is make sure the other ones keep going. Even though the players aren't paying attention to yeah, it, yeah, and uh, and so yeah, you're like, okay, guys, you go down this plot line that you want. Maybe you go veer over to another one at some point, but just because you're not paying attention to them, doesn't mean these things aren't happening. And mm-hmm. that's the great thing about our RPGs versus our video games. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, because mm-hmm. your players will inevitably have this moment where they go. We could have avoided that. <laughs> Why did we have to go loot the dragon cave instead right. of save the world? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and that really, I think, makes them much more interested in the game because they do have these hard choices and they're always on the lookout then for like signs that they need to pay attention to something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. Definitely. Gosh, what else? Um, You've got to have a lot, Dave. You made that Dark Sun game run forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, uh, one of the things I wrote down, which is beyond my hating of play-by-post. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The, um, uh, the concept of letting players step outside their uh, their normal character's shoes for, you know, a session or two. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. we, uh, we did that with Iron Kingdoms. I, uh, when mm-hmm. I put them online, I called them our Gaiden sessions. But, um, you know, you just give them a short side story where, you know, it, it changes up how they're supposed to play the game. They either play, like, a different race or a different class of character. 
or even just a different type of uh, type of activity, which is still you know forwarding the main plot that their like main characters are focused in, but at the same time just sort of giving them a different perspective of how the rest of the world works, mm. so that they can you know either carry that back into their characters. Or, you know, carry that back into a little bit of their out-of-character knowledge of how, you know, they understand how the world works. Um, But yeah, we had, um, we actually had a lot of fun with that one in the Iron Kingdoms, because that let us, that let us continue playing while one of our regular players was gone, and let us introduce a new player, like, entirely to the game itself. And, you know, keep playing at the same time while, you know, getting some, uh, some side plot done. Mm -hmm. And that really, uh, you know, that, for me, that really brought you know, brought me a little bit further into the into the campaign setting. Not that I wasn't, you know, neck deep in it already, but uh, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. We didn't like Iron Kingdoms at all. Yeah, Iron <laughs> <laughs> Kingdoms. The longest episode in podcast history. <laughs> I know, yeah. and we, like, cut that short. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. It's like we could have talked for two hours and only talked for an hour 20 about uh, KRPG. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> no, it's it's just a, it's, it's a really kind of good concept just to, just yeah. to change the pace, especially if, you know, your car- if your players are getting a little tired of, you know, always just following, like, one thing at a time, just, you know, shunt them off somewhere else. Have them all go to sleep and wake up as other people. <laughs> Oh and yeah, you did that test at Dark Sun all the oh time. Oh yeah, and then reminds... we ruined the world. Yeah, oh. and, and <laughs> yeah, and, and that's yeah, that's another example of players' actions driving the uh, <laughs> the plot line. Oh yeah, don't be afraid to like follow through on on the crap that the players. Oh yeah, screw yeah up, no, you know? it was great. Yeah. You know, we yeah. were actually the ones that introduced made, <laughs> made Dark Sun the way it is. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Good job breaking it, heroes. Yeah, no, I I remember reading about uh, this guy's uh, campaign a long time ago. Um, It's always been something I kind of wanted to do, but the opportunity has never presented itself. But, Mm. you know, in sort of a um, sort of classic um, post-Dragonlance D&D type campaign where everyone's heroes and you're Mm -hmm. all, Mm. you know, out to save the world and all that stuff. So this guy's running this, this game and... His players are getting a little, uh, little antsy, you know. They're like, they're always the good guys. They're always out to, you know, save the MacGuffin or do something else, you know. And he's like, all right, well, why don't we do a little, uh, you know, we'll just hit the pause button there and we'll, um, you know, we'll do a little side game, you know. And, yeah. And uh, we'll, do a, we'll do an evil one shot. You guys can play, like, orcs and gnolls and goblins and do whatever you want, you know, and... and you don't have to save the world. In fact, you're out to destroy it. How's that sound? I'm like, yay! You know, so they do, and they do this one shot that basically consists of them deciding to raid this village, and and then just the whole evening is is them detailing how they're destroying this village, <laughs> all the loot they're taking, all the people they're killing, all the buildings they're burning down. Oh, so then they return to the game, and of course, you know, this was like your classic D and D thing where everyone came from the same village, and it was like, you know, that was their home base. Yeah. Well, it turns out the village that village it. was their home base. <laughs> so now, not only do the main characters know that their village was destroyed, they know they did it, and they know exactly what happened. <laughs> it's not just the GM going, "Oh, your village got burned and looted. Sorry." It's like, "Oh God, I know exactly what I did to you know the yes. burgermaster or whatever." You know. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I just thought that was brilliant, and um, you know, an example of how you can use like the little timeout side sessions to really, yeah, you know, yeah. increase the main narrative's yeah. uh, thrust. You know, definitely a good way you can avoid that uh, them being tired of being the good guy mm-hmm. is to make all of their decisions, you know, double sided. 
that yeah. they feel horrible whichever way they pick. Because mm, exactly. <laughs> yeah. then they'll feel dirty enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Choosing the lesser of two evils. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're kind of doing that in the Pendragon game in terms of alliances. Like yeah. Like ally with. There's really no one that's... I imagine there's no one really clean. Yeah. Yeah. But still, it's it's so... It's so... Uh, it just gets you when, he, when that betrayal comes along. You just, you the just, inevitable backstab. Yeah. You just hate them so much. Uh. Oh, but it feels so good. At the same time, just, just... Oh, this is the reason to come back. I want to kill that guy. Yeah, if you can, if you can get your players, like, hating uh, NPCs or even, uh, like... Yes, Even hate. whole groups yeah. of people... Yes. Then that's like you, you're you're uh, you're in the zone at yeah, that point. I agree. You know, you don't have to worry about um, the campaign petering out at any any point in time. Yeah. We had a great illustration of that in Iron Kingdoms. Mm. We had this wedding that was happening in mm. Dave's character's family. It was mm. a big deal. It was kind of a big deal. And uh, so they're expecting something really horrible to happen. And this guy that they used to work for, that they then gave a weapon of mass destruction to unknowingly. <laughs> Is at the wedding, you know, because he mm-hmm. would be invited. It's you know, plot, <laughs> yeah. and so they are just focused on him the entire time. He doesn't do anything because he's just going to a wedding. Right. It's the other threat that happens that uh, really just kicks him in the pants. Brilliant. Yeah, it was great. I enjoyed that. Yeah, right. And oh god, I <laughs> was just yeah, that was completely out of left field. Yeah. And that, yeah. If, if anything, that that was like beginning of Act Two for our game, yes. where oh, we're just. Wow. Skip, yeah, everything's been escalated. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's another thing that happens with long term campaigns is they do tend to like take on those those little little mini cycles. Yeah. yeah. Like act breaks almost. Yeah. And and you can feel it when it happens and mm. you know, like you got to a new chapter and you weren't even planning it. Mm. You know, but it just happens. There's something in the you know, what the players are doing. Like actually the first uh I keep coming back to Pendragon because it's some of the longer campaigns I've ever run but mm-hmm. yeah definitely um, the first you know sort of major Pendragon game I ran um, you know speaking of like player actions having ongoing effects that they're not paying attention to yes <laughs> well you know <laughs> there's childbirth tables in the game and so like one of the characters when he was young had this dalliance and then went on his way, and I just secretly rolled on the childbirth table mm-hmm. without him even thinking about it. And, you know, yeah, he, you know, Bob fathered a, a kid. And then, like, 20 years down the road, this kid shows up, <laughs> you know, as an adult knight, you know. and Perfect, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was just like, I remember their, their minds being collectively blown by that. So. <laughs> I love those moments yeah. when you just, like, your characters are all just staring at you open mouth. Like, what? Where'd you bring that from? How did that happen? <laughs> Hello, father. <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's so. like a reverse Darth Vader. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am your son. <laughs> Such your feelings. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and of course, you know, big cast of uh, NPCs is always helpful. Definitely. To, uh, to draw upon. Although, you know, start small would be my advice. And yeah, just build you definitely out need there. to start at that local level. Right. Yeah, These yeah. are your neighbors, your family, your... And you really want to Best keep them memorable. I mean, we've had uh, we've had Sir Blaine since like game one, and we're on year how many now? Mm, we're like, twenty years in. Yeah, we're like 
20 yeah, games so in. 20 games in, and he's still like... He's yeah. in his 60s now. <laughs> yeah, he, he shows up, and you still hear the audience go like... It's true, yeah. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, having those having those really early on super memorable NPCs, you know, any way that you can manage it, like, it really... You know, it really gets people, you know, coming back because it's, you know, like TV shows. You have yeah. characters coming back that you, you're familiar with, that you like, that you hate. So yeah. it's uh, it's really about, you know, finding out who those are and sticking them in the plot as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I would say that much like TV shows, it's possible to try and keep a campaign going longer than it, it should. Oh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So part part of uh, part of keeping a long term campaign going is knowing when to end it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because you can always come back yeah. um, later, you know, for like a sequel. Yeah, and you can, you know, a lot of times you can feel it coming as a DM. You're just like, oh god, yeah. I have to prep for the game. <laughs> and I found the best way to like find out if you really should be keeping going with this game or not mm. is do something really big. Like, Mm -hmm. they may be going to Dungeon X next time, and that's the plan, and everybody's invested in it, but then all of a sudden, like, as they're packing up to leave town, like, something horrendous happens. Like, it gets invaded by gnolls that are out to make tents out of everybody's skin, (laughs) and, uh, like, make it really horrible and morbid, and... Yeah, you or, know, and really deadly. Like it's a possibility you could TPK, mm-hmm. and at that point, your whole game's changed course. Mm-hmm. Or you know, throw out a um, you know your game world's version of the Black Death, right? Yeah, you yeah. Know, kill off eighty percent of your NPCs, right? You know, yeah, clean slate it. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, power structures change. You know, if 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 the campaign seems like it's falling apart. You got nothing to lose. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Have, have a spaceship land in the middle of your medieval town. You know, right? I mean, Ooh, go nuts, yeah. right? Have all kinds of fun with it. Yeah. Why do you guys think you went planes traveling so much? Yeah, but you know, uh, stopping a game for a while that that can also kind of you know give you a chance to reinvigorate. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I've. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been toying with the idea of coming back to a game that we stopped a while ago, but like you know, bringing it into a different uh, game mechanic setting entirely. So mm-hmm. switching from BRP to maybe Savage Worlds, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, just that change of, of dynamic for you as the GM for plotting might be enough to you know either lighten the load because there was a certain mechanic in the last you know type of system that you know was really dragging you down that was slowing down the mechanic you mm-hmm. know the game time. And then this way, things might move a little bit faster in in sort of the genre you want to focus on. So, it's uh, you know, there's there's always that chance if if your players are are down with trying something new, to you know, to really give that a shot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Although I would caution uh, if you're going to switch systems, make sure you know what you want to do in terms of making that switch ahead of time. Don't. Don't put the campaign on hold and go, all right, I'm going to figure out how to convert everything from BRP to Savage Worlds, and I'll let you know <laughs> when I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, I did that about six years ago with one of the campaigns I was running, and Ooh. it still hasn't started up again. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, it was nice because in this situation, because Dave ended the game. Like, we started yeah. playing the game knowing it was going to be kind of a short campaign. Yeah, yeah. And we ended it on a very high note involving T-Rexes mm. and Zeppelins. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, so then when he's like, yeah, I'm thinking of converting it over to Savage Worlds and we'll start it up again. It was like, my heart was all a flutter. I'm yeah. like, oh, yes. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is about timing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if you're in the middle of a of a flow, you know. Yeah, definitely. If you're don't. like, if you're in the middle of a dungeon crawl, don't switch systems. <laughs> Wait until at least you finish that part. You right. Know, get to an interlude. Right. Where you can introduce like the interlude rules in Savage Worlds. Hooray for the interlude rules! Yay! <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I don't know any other any other suggestions because it's like the thing the thing with me is that for years and years and years and years I couldn't run or find a group that could run a game that lasted more than like maybe six to ten sessions. Mm-hmm. You know, and we wanted to like play these epic. You know, campaigns. We could just never tried Masks of Nerothotep, never got past, you know, half a dozen sessions. You know, yeah, well, everyone's like on that. by like their twentieth character by then, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's only in my game. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think we only had one fatality in that, in that game. Really, I've heard yeah. Masks is really fatal. It can be, um, uh, but the the sort of opening chapters are not as bad as the okay. later ones. Yeah. The later ones are. Oh gosh. Yeah, they get intense. But, you know, it also depends on how hot your DM rolls. True. It's true. true. Yeah. Yeah. Dave. I roll really well when I'm killing players. It's... <laughs> I am on fire. I have, like, a permanent trauma about black dice. Oh, my God. <laughs> permanent trauma. Good thing my uh, Cthulhu GM dice are black. <laughs> so, at any rate, somehow, at some point, I was able to start running more long-term campaigns, and I'm not entirely sure how, but uh, mm. I think it's kind of all the things we've been talking about so yeah. far. And Obsidian Portal was a big help, too, because that helped me organize my campaigns better. Definitely. So, um, you, know, whatever, you know, whatever organizational tool the listener uses, mm. um, use it. Mine oh. is my handy dandy binder. Yeah, binder. You know, can't get can't get into this technology thing <laughs> for my gaming. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. That's how I started. Yeah, hmm. moved backwards. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Well, we'll see. I'm I'm thinking of getting back into Call of Cthulhu myself and just trying trying to do one shots to start out with again mm-hmm. and like sort of weed out the players who aren't going to show up every week because mm-hmm. I think that's another strength of keeping long campaigns going is getting players that are actually going to come back actually yeah. you're, you're right I mean yeah. the long campaigns didn't start until I had a really solid you know gaming group established yeah and um, you know I had gone for a few years with like yeah kind of a, a gypsy style <laughs> you know, <laughs> setup when I was living in San Francisco it's just like everyone's so busy you know oh, it's yeah. like trying to schedule a game is like herding cats you know yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm like, none of your people have children. You shouldn't be this busy. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What is your problem? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just having like a set um, day, of course, you know. But a lot of people are like, you know, treat it more like a kind of, you know, oh, you want a game today? You know, and it's like, no, you got to have a set day and time. Yep. And another one is, you know, have a set time bracket. So it's like 6 to 9 or 6 to 10 or yeah. mm-hmm. 4 to 8 or whatever you so want to do. So people can make plans after. Exactly. And then stick to it and don't try really hard not to go over. Definitely. You know, if you can help it. So that helps as well. Just yeah. on a practical level. So anyway. Yeah. And just not be so invested in your story. That, oh, God, yeah. You know, because... Yeah. 
I think that that kills it the most is like players are like, well, I'm not really interested in this story, or you're getting tired of it, and you're like, mm-hmm. man, I just God, they just are not getting the hint. Yeah. Why won't they follow this plot hook? <laughs> uh, so drop it, you know. Yeah, just let that it go. bad guy can take over the world while they're busy. Doing whatever, breeding mm. cows, you know, it's Just breed all the cows. Guys. Whatever they want to do, you know, may yeah. have horrible cow herd disasters. <laughs> yeah, so so sort of like don't don't be too married to your plot and don't be too married to your setting. Like don't right, be yeah. afraid to just you know through the player actions or your own devious thoughts, you yeah. know, tear it apart. Like when I ran the um, the GURPS uh, Tales from the Solar Patrol mm. pulp sci-fi campaign, you know. I, you know, basically it sets it up with the Solar Patrol as being like the kind of good guy Space Rangers, and I killed them all in the first session. Yeah. You know, except for you guys. And it was kind of a last, you know, a Jedi kind of yeah, we're all situation, you know. Cadets. You're all, you're, you're just the last of this, uh, you know, this great bastion, you know, and so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had no compunctions about doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Destroy everything they love when exactly. you get bored. Yeah. <laughs> or just see what happens. Yeah. You know? See what they do. What happens if I blow this up? Yeah, no, that's a great question to ask as a DM. Like, you just, like, set all your stuff out and you're like, what can I destroy? How would that be fun? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm. Oh. All right. Well, uh, we still got a little time left, so I think we might be able to reintroduce our uh, uh, that segment we we talked about a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, the pipe dream campaigns. Yeah, absolutely, I uh, love this segment. <laughs> Susan, do you want to uh, do you want to introduce yours? Sure, I'll start. Um, I've a couple years ago at this point, I believe, I ran a all girls Pathfinder game mm. um, because several of my normal gaming buddies had girlfriends that they wanted to get into mm-hmm. gaming or in just some other girls I met mm-hmm. <clears throat> friends of friends etc etc so uh, we started this game and they turned out to be a really awesome bunch of players because none of them had gamed before mm-hmm. and a lot of them didn't even really weren't even really invested in fantasy as a genre mm-hmm. so they just didn't know a lot of the tropes that yeah. go with it and yeah. so it was really interesting in that way but we made a lot of jokes about it being a girls game mm-hmm. including like pink dice and like I had I bought a set of pink dice that were the dice of shame if you forgot yours <laughs> and uh <laughs> well, I'm gonna get some dice of shame <laughs> yeah no it's good yeah, it is and good. Uh, yeah, I get players forgetting their dice and Ooh. so there were so there were a lot of jokes about like Barbie and things like that and this developed into this whole idea of a Malibu dream dungeon <laughs> <laughs> so I enjoy making terrain and minis and all of that lovely mm-hmm. extra stuff that goes into gaming and so um I've had this idea to the point that I've made like a sample piece and I'm trying to figure out what the color scheme should be for the Malibu Dream Dungeon <laughs> as 3D terrain, wow. you know, that you would play in. Wow. Also, I'm becoming very, I have become very well versed in Barbie lore. <laughs> nice. Because they have like a whole Barbie comic book series wow. and like, I know like Ken's extended family, like his grandparents' names and things like that. So I went into all of this work for 
for this. I just haven't found the right way to tie it into a fantasy game. Mm. You know, I've thought of it being some weird, like, crazy sorceress named Barbie in her, like, pocket dimension. And uh, thought of it being some sort of kind of creepy succubus lair. Mm-hmm. Haven't really gotten the connection in mm-hmm. that I need to make it work. Though everybody I've told about it is just like, this is amazing. Yeah. You need to run this. <laughs> and I just I haven't been able to get it going. Oh, wow. In spite of all my copious amounts of Barbie knowledge now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where it starts with the knowledge. <laughs> copious amounts of knowledge, yes. True. Somewhere I'll find that string that'll make it all brilliant. <laughs> so that's my uh, that's my pipe dream wow. campaign. That's impressive for yeah. right now. My idea, maybe if it gets going well enough, that it's something I could take to conventions. Oh, it would be a huge since I'm making a dungeon and yeah. everything to go with it. Yeah. yeah, and especially if it was that visually striking. Yes. and lay it out on the table, neon and, pink. And yeah, people just be like bright Aw. turquoise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. Who wouldn't want a dungeon crawl on that? Oh man, seriously, you'd have to do like three or four slots probably oh yeah just to accommodate yeah so that's mine that's my <laughs> that's pretty cool one though i have notebooks filled with campaign ideas wow do. damn <laughs> if you ever need an idea for a campaign you just let me know i'd be happy to hook you up <laughs> the malibu dream dungeon campaign yeah don't you, you start off with the malibu dream dungeon <laughs> oh. i was gonna originally like have it like planned out Map-wise, to mm. correlate with the actual Malibu Dreamhouse. Wow, but that's were, ambitious. Well, yeah, but the Malibu Dreamhouse is interesting. It's got like a telescope on the roof. Huh. Sure, why not? Yeah. Barbie apparently enjoys astronomy <laughs> and tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all know Malibu is so noted for its, uh, <laughs> its yes. for its night skies, right? Yes, <laughs> for its utter lack of light pollution, light pollution yeah. and heavy marine layer. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you know, being that close to sea level, you're gonna see everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends on which where you point the telescope. <laughs> Now there's something I haven't thought about before. Uh, Barbie's a perv. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, Telescope oh is not for stars. No. Well, not those kind of not stars. Not those kind of stars, anyway. <laughs> oh. Yep. Oh. Yes, exactly. Oh. oh, my God. All right. Man. <laughs> the things you research when you're a DM, right? Oh, yeah. That's why I love it. Yeah, no, it definitely broadens your horizons quite a bit. No mm. kidding. Yeah. So speaking of research, mm. I saw your uh, your dream campaign. Oh gosh. Yeah. My uh, my Call of Cthulhu Tides of March. Yeah. Stuff. It's it's something I've been thinking about for a while. Like, I'm not sure how long. I think like right after I got to Santa Fe and bought like Call of Cthulhu, mm. I started thinking about you know like pirates are awesome, and this was like before you know <laughs> Assassin's Creed Black Flag, uh-huh. and like. It was still after, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies were out, because obviously, you know, with, you know, Davy Jones being all tentacly... Yeah, who doesn't go to Cthulhu there? It's a simple transition to realize, but then, you know, the name just sort of came to me, the Tides of March. (laughs) And I realized... Beware the Tides of March. It's just like, it it just came to me that that was, like, something that would be amazing to, uh, to, like, start plotting out, because, you know, you have all these, 
you have all these really kind of like dark stories of you know privateers and pirates and you know even like members of the royal navy because you have like you know pirates engaging in like dark acts with voodoo sorcerers Mm -hmm. and you know going to these strange uncharted places where like natives are super native and like almost described like how Lovecraft describes natives as being really super racist and kind of evil. So, you know, you, you get into that, you, you know, you get into that like kind of mindset and that concept where, mm. you know, if you're, if you're living on a ship for, you know, the fear, months at the a fear time, of the other and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're, you're suffering from scurvy and hallucinating already a little bit anyway. Yeah, got some cabin fever going on. Yeah. You know, you just land on this Island and like natives are burning some strange plant and you like walk through a cloud of it and all mm. of a sudden you don't know what's real anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's, could be really awesome. Yeah, so all of a sudden I kind of just started thinking, hey, this would be kind of really awesome to, you know, integrate into a, you know, integrate sanity mechanics and call and, you know, Cthulhu and, you know, hey, Relay is, you know, in the ocean somewhere, so obviously... Well, yeah, and if it's in the Pacific, then you can integrate Chinese pirates yeah. and, you know... Yeah. Ooh, that's good stuff. Yeah, know? exactly. So it's... There's there's all this lore that you can like pull from and yeah so Chaosium is about it like they have that source book uh, Blood Tide in printers right now so once that once that comes out I'm just gonna jump all over it because <laughs> yeah um, I, I can't wait to see what they uh, what they include in it hopefully it's uh, a little bit more uh, more full of lore than you know like the Magic World setting was yeah. and, you know a few a few of the other uh, BRP settings that I've picked up but I mean. I think it would be a lot of fun just to, you know, even just like a one shot or a two shot, just to, just to gauge interest, just to, you know, feel exactly how players might, you know, interact with that type of situation where they're not, you know, these 1920s investigators mm-hmm. or, you know, soldiers in World War One or, you know, even, I don't know, resistance members in, you know, World War Two or something. Yeah. Where they're really, you know... Or FBI agents. Exactly. Or, yeah. mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're not investigators. They're not literates. They're not. In, they're not researching anything. Thank God, I'm not going to go that crazy if I can't read. Right. Yeah. Use the Necronomicon for toilet paper. All they're doing is, you know, just going to these, you know, uncharted islands, or you know, encountering these strange ghost ships, or you know, perhaps you know, you know, combating with people who are, you know, more intelligent than they are, and doing terrible things with that intelligence. Um, you know, just trying to trying to live a you know a jolly life. You know? <laughs> while on these like horrifying seas with you know very little sanity, and you know they've you know Lovecraft's got these really interesting stories like the uh, I can't remember the the name of the story right now. Hopefully I, I will later. But uh, you know there's this uh, there's this guy and he goes into this aba- seemingly abandoned house and there's this really old pirate captain who can't read anything but he's got this book that has these woodcuts in it. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah. the um, the picture in the house. The picture in the house. That's right. Um, and yeah, so like it's it's you know these woodcuts of like cannibals eating people, mm. and like he really he's really into this one picture, and you can tell he's just like crazy, and, all, and like in five minutes he's just gonna eat this narrator, right, right, and it's just oh my gosh, it's so, one of, it's one of my favorite Lovecraft stories because it's it's just so full of the menace and um, and you know just it's so Lovecraftian. I mean you yeah. know yeah these these weird little. Um, uh, pockets that you know of, of insanity that exists yeah. in the world. So that's so. like, yeah, that's like one of those situations where even illiterate characters can you know go crazy from like a book because you know they see the effects and they like see you know just 
an idea of how it's supposed to work. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, yeah just, that's a good point. Just yeah. kind of encountering it through that rather than, you know, through the, uh, through the educated, you know, sense of, you know, standard Call of Cthulhu. I thought that would be a really cool mechanic to try. And I think your players would be even more pissed off that the books are still driving them crazy, even though they can't read. Exactly. <laughs> God, I just read this for the pictures. Ah! <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm surprised that like pirate, you know, settings in general aren't more popular. Yeah. You know, as a segment of gaming, because it's it's got everything you need right there. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, lawlessness. You can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. High uh, adventure. High adventure. Um, and then, you know, who doesn't like a, you know, ship-to-ship combat? I it, mean, that's just yeah. mass broadsides and, you know, explosions and wood splinters flying everywhere and just all kinds of crazy shit going on, you know? Yeah, like... like- Every D&D setting I've ever read talks about, you know, that one character who wants to swing on a rope and, like, kick someone. Yeah, there have to be rules for swinging on a rope because yeah. everyone, you know, there's always that one guy who has to try it. Yeah. Yeah. And this setting, you would do it all the time. Yeah. You yeah. could you could do that for, like, an hour. Just straight. <laughs> Kevin Clare characters roll that. <laughs> yeah, well, GURPS Swashbucklers was one of the first GURPS books I bought mm. um, for that very reason. I was very interested in the... It was sort of divided into a sort of musketeer focus and then a pirate focus, and I was mostly there for the pirates <laughs> because it was just such a... It's such an intriguing genre. Definitely. Know? And uh, speaking of GURPS, uh, GURPS Horror 4th Edition has a couple worked um, campaign frameworks. Mm. One of them is a pirate horror mm. um, framework. So you might want to check that out. Nice. Mm. By way of inspiration. Definitely. Yeah, that's good stuff. And that segues into my contribution this time, which again is kind of a more general thing, but um, basically GURPS Horror was, uh, the latest edition was written by Ken Height, and he, I was first made aware of his work through the old Steve Jackson Games uh, magazine called Pyramid when it was online, and he had a monthly column called Suppressed Transmission, and every October he would do a Halloween-themed thing where it was just a bunch of horror-themed uh, campaign seeds. Mm. It was called Cleo's Nightmares because Cleo is the muse of history. And so they were all like kind of horror history uh, frameworks, and I want to run every single one of them. <laughs> uh, but there, there was one that was like another kind of um, uh, horror swashbucklers mashup was like um, um, the uh, the King of Spain. I think it was Philip the Fifth. Anyway, during the Elizabethan era. Um, in you know, in reality, he tried to use mummy powder to achieve immortality, mm. and so in this in this framework, uh, it worked, but it turned him into a mummy. Right, and and so uh, and then basically awoke all the other mummies in the world. <laughs> so nice. all, all the Incan mummies, all the Egyptian mummies, all the um, you know Central Asian mummies. Tamerlane comes back. Uh, you know the pharaohs come back. And so it turns into this uh, mummy, a swashbuckling mummy war, basically, which <laughs> just sounds amazing. That you sounds know. amazing. Yeah, and, and 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 he just sort of casually lobs out within this framework like four or six 
actual campaign seeds, you know, like, <laughs> well, uh, PCs could be uh, French Jesuits trying to infiltrate the mummy court, or they could be English sea dogs lobbying, uh, you know, uh, 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 loads of, uh, of sea salt into the uh, into the dead ships of the Spanish Armada, you know, like, like oh my god, <laughs> I want to play it all, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, um... There's a few of them where basically they published some uh, two volumes of sort of best of suppressed transmission, which are still available in PDF, and you can track them down in print. And so a couple of Cleo's Nightmares made into those. And then I have the rest kind of archived because I was a Pyramid subscriber, and then when they changed their format, they were like... <laughs> Well, we're going to take all our archives down, so you've got about 24 hours to save everything. Oh, God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so if you can track down somehow old Cleo's Nightmares, I highly recommend it. Hmm. Because, yeah, there's just... I, I did do one... Uh, I've So far, I've managed to, to turn one you know framework into a campaign with me and my wife, one of our uh, you know one-on-one games. And it was this idea of like... Um, basically setting um, setting the Peter Pan mythos during the age of Napoleon uh, and and making Peter Pan into literally Pan the god Pan mm. on this oh. island on this Greek island you know and um, and that basically um, the French Revolution sort of unleashed this um, uh, his powers because they burned some uh, the, the revolutionaries burned some sacred relic from Notre Dame that was, like, keeping him, you know, from, like, rising back up. So it was kind of almost like a Shubnigaroth kind of thing, right. where it was, like, Pan represents this, like, kind of wildness and this, you know, feral nature and, and so forth. And so that re- worked out really well. Mm. Awesome. Actually. Yeah, because she that played... really good. She, the, the, one of the reasons he said it at that period is because the chancellor of the British exchequer was, was named Darling, and so we could play the Darling children. Yeah. Ah, and yes. so she played Wendy Darling and had her run in with this version of Pan. Oh. Which was, you know... Pretty harrowing. <laughs> More harrowing. Than, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Yeah, it was good. And the Lost Boys were cannibals and all that good stuff. So. Mm. Of course. Yeah, mm. of course. Yes. <laughs> so... I want to run more Cleo's Nightmares in the future. Yeah, definitely. We'll see. Yep. Oh, man. Well, I think that uh, I think that puts us towards our wrap-up time. Excellent. Well. It was sort of a lightning round edition. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> quite, a, quite a good bit of lore thrown out. Absolutely. Well, uh, once again, thank you for listening. My name is David Schiff. I'm David Larkins. And I'm Susan Stewart. Have a great night. Just as a reminder to our listeners, we here at Unabashed Gaming love to hear from you. Head over to www.unabashedgaming.blogspot.com and leave us a comment. Or call our Lake Geneva, Wisconsin voicemail number, 262-729-9774. We also have a SpeakPipe link on our blog page. You can leave us a message directly through your computer's microphone or headset. Comments, questions, topic ideas, whatever you want to share with us, all is welcome. We hope to hear from you soon. Thanks.